0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're really pleased to have you tune in for the program.
1: You owe a debt to God that you could never repay, but God has absorbed the debt. Not only that, He paid it.
0: As adults, we know that actions have consequences. We see it every day, and it's a principle that is played out in our parenting and disciplining our children. But we didn't make it up. Early in the Old Testament, it's written, If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, then... To paraphrase, you will live through the consequences. In the wake of Israel's disobedience, the prophet Jeremiah had a word from God, a promise of restoration, and it was beautiful. Let's explore that promise with Dr. Corbett tonight. Shepherds shall rest their flocks.
1: Jeremiah is largely prophesying in a city. It's a walled city. It's a walled city that within its walls, there's two sets of walls. There's a, a set of walls where the city proper is, then just outside that wall there 's um, fields, some fields, and then there 's uh, another wall, another set of walls and and this is a city that could therefore lock its outside walls and and protect itself and because it 's got some fields within those walls, it could continue to do some farming, limited farming so they they were able to withstand what 's called a siege for Sometime they, Israel had become fairly experienced in, in dealing with invading armies that, that laid siege to it, but when they weren 't being laid siege to beyond those walls, there were fields outside Jerusalem, and so around around the city, there would be farmers or more particularly shepherds, who were tending flocks. These were the shepherds that were largely contracted from the temple to grow sheep. Now why on earth would the temple want shepherds to grow sheep, look after sheep? For sacrifices. So these sheep have a purpose. Now if you weren't under contract to the temple and you were out even further and you were a a, a sheep Herder, a farmer of sheep, you were required by the law still to give certain numbers of these sheep to the temple. In fact, if we, if you read in Leviticus, uh, you'll, you'll read that at the, at the lambing, the time of lambing, the shepherd would would set himself up on uh, probably a couple of rocks or something, and the sheep would have to pass through him. His legs would become like a doorway, and he would have a rod, a big rod, and on that rod would be this crimson dye, this sort of stain, ink stuff, and he would have to go uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, as they go through seven, eight, nine, ten, and mark that one, and that's got this great big red crimson stain on it, and and through it goes. And keep going, one, two... And every tenth one would get marked. And that one, the tenth one, was dedicated to the Lord. So that would have to go off to the temple. That would become a part of the temple sacrifice. This is called a tithe. A tithe means one tenth. And so that's what these guys were were to do. Now, when they weren't doing that, shepherds... And Jesus describes the role of the shepherd in John chapter 10. He talks about the shepherd... Who would do that? Who would who would stand with his feet, you know, on a, probably a couple of rocks, and the sheep would pass through, and, and as they do, he's he's taking his hands and he's he's running his hands through the wool, and he's counting them one, two, and we know the story where he goes and ninety nine and it's supposed to be hundred, and you know the story how he's gone through, and he, as he's doing that, he's pulling out the burrs and the. The thistles and all this kind of stuff, and so it's, this, this is not a pleasant job for the shepherd, but he loves his sheep and he wants them, so he 's doing this ninety nine so what does he do? It says that he, he, he secures them in the, the pen, which would have been you know just sticks and brush and all the rest of it, and rocks or whatever he could get just to protect the sheep in that sheep pen, and then he go out and look for that one that, hundredth that sheep in the story that Jesus told it was a lamb. So he goes out and he finds that lamb. Now, now the fact that he knew he had a hundred sheep, he, he, he could account for every one of them. And it's reminiscent that, that, there was, that, that every sheep was precious to the shepherd. He knew them. And when we come back and, and he, to the, the, the first instance during the lambing season where he would, the shepherd would take the rod with the die on it and mark everyone. So this is called passing under the rod. Right, So you just need to be aware of it. And of course the law says that if the shepherd is about to mark one, he goes, oh, that was my favourite one. I don't want to. He could do this. He could go, okay, you go through, but the next two now go to the temple. That's what he had to do. He had to put a 20% interest charge on it, so to speak, and he could save that one if he wanted to. That was, that was the deal. But every one of these sheep that got a mark on it, was dedicated to the Lord. They passed under the rod, they were marked and they were dedicated to the Lord. And the shepherd knew who his sheep were. But ultimately all of those sheep, apart from the fact that they'd be shorn for a couple of seasons, really they've only got one purpose. (laughs) And I'm talking roast lamb. That's their purpose. Their purpose. They're, they're being. They these sheep are being farmed because they're going to lay down their lives. Now, with that in mind, unless you understand that, this little section in Jeremiah is just not going to make any sense to you at all. So, with that in mind, I want you to see that the the, the picture of a shepherd with sheep is one of the recurring themes in the Bible, isn't it? You know, if I was to say to you quickly, tell me, what's the opening line to a psalm in the Bible? The Lord is my... We all know it. Well, most of us know it. Psalm 23. He leads me beside still waters. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. The rod. I pass under the rod. I'm accounted for. I'm his. So... With that in mind, this picture of a shepherd with his sheep is one that is very close to the heart of Hebrews. And in this section, Jeremiah is talking about a time when shepherds shall rest their flocks. Shepherds shall rest their flocks. And of course, it paints a word picture. It paints a word picture in the same way that there are other things in the Bible paint a word picture to describe a state, a state of being. Sometimes we we just kind of need to recognise that the Hebrews used language closer to what we would call poetry than perhaps we do in our day and age. So when it talks about shepherds resting their flocks, it's a picture of, well, if the shepherds are resting their flocks, they must be outside the wall. If they're outside the wall, that means there's no enemies. If shepherds are resting their flocks, they're not... They're not conscripted in the army. This is a time of peace. If they've got flocks, this is a time of prosperity. If shepherds are resting their flocks, it means the temple is flourishing. And you see, in that one statement, we've got this picture of ultimate bliss. Now, we'll read a couple of verses. I'll remind you of the background to this section, because right now they are not experiencing ultimate bliss. In fact, right now, as this is happening, outside their walls, they are under siege. The Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar are outside their walls, just patiently waiting, and pretty soon they're gonna they're gonna bomb this place with with fire and completely overrun the city. That's where that's just about to happen. <laughs> so let's read this verse verse ten. Thus says the Lord In this place of which you say it's a waste without man or beast in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast. There shall be heard again the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. The voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Wow, it's a, it's a picture of incredible prosperity. It's not what they are currently experiencing. I remind you, just jump ahead a little bit, that these, these people, the guy saying this is a prophet. He, he, he's accurately predicted the future. And they don't deny it. They can't deny it now. And they've come to him because they think it's not that he's predicting the future. It's that he has some kind of power over God that he can create the future. So therefore, if you can create the future, Jeremiah, just prophesy that Babylon will go away. Prophesy that our city will come into peace again. And of course, he doesn't. He says it'll become a desolation. But then he says, but there will be a time when it will be. Now, we've stopped halfway through this verse because it says they'll come there will be a time he says when they will come with thank offerings and i want you to see this because this is powerful this is what they will do give thanks to the lord of hosts for the lord is good for his steadfast love endures forever there is an absolute gold mine there that if if we if we can be born live our life and leave this planet just, just appreciating those statements about God, we've done very well. We've done very well. I want you to see these words. Steadfast love, what does that speak of? Faithfulness. God is good. Get that. God is good. Jeremiah is prophesying of a time when people will come not because they're going to get anything from God. You see the context here? These guys are coming to get Jeremiah to do something. And Jeremiah's saying saying, no, there's going to come a day when people come and they will come to the temple and they will worship God, not to get anything from him, but because of who he is. <laughs> they will be declaring his magnificence. They will be declaring his beauty. They will be declaring his incredible faithfulness. The day is coming, says Jeremiah. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, declares the Lord. So what's some of the background here to this? Jeremiah's in the royal palace prison. He was in the public prison, but now he's been locked up in the palace. Why? Because he'd been challenging the whole population. He, From a young boy, from the age of 13 or 14, God had been using this man who's now probably in his 40s to... To call the nation to repent. What does repent mean? Well, repent simply means you're going this way, stop, turn around and go that way. That's repent. And in spiritual terms, if God is over here and, and God wants us to come near, he wants us to draw near. And the Bible again uses language like God is on the top of a hill and we are to come up the hill. And I don't know if you've ever climbed a hill. You ever climbed it? It's like, this is effort. It takes work. It takes concentration. Psalm 15 talks about who shall ascend the hill of the Lord. There's a little bit of effort required here. You can't be a slacker and enjoy the the best that God is offering you. It's just that simple. And so, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Why? Because if you draw near to him, he (laughs) has drawn near to you. But repent Repentance is involved because when mankind is faced with the option, come on, come on up to God, mankind says, "Hang on, let me get this right. If I come near to you, I've got to lay down my life. I've got to let you tell me how to live. I've got to define right and wrong by what you say. I've got to restrict the the boundaries that I push where I know it's wrong, but gee, it's fun. And you want me to throw that out? No way." Mankind runs this way. It doesn't mean they become less religious. They're very religious in doing it. In fact, some people even claim that they're actually pursuing this God as they run really fast that way. They just claim they have control over him now. And when God says repent, he's really saying stop, turn around and come back. And the discovery that I've made, and I'm sure you've made too, Is that when you yield, when you hear that word repent from the voice of God and you do, you stop, you discover that his voice is magnetic. That summons to repent gives you the strength to repent. But when your back is turned to him, you don't experience that magnetism. So, Jeremiah's been pleading with this nation to repent. He's been pleading with this nation and warning them. And some of us who perhaps are unfamiliar with the first five books of the Bible might think, gee, Jeremiah's really, really harsh here. He's inventing all these horrible things that will happen to the people. No, he's not, actually. He's simply quoting a lot of what God has already said. He's simply quoting what God has already said. He's simply reminding the people what God has already said. For example, Deuteronomy 28, verse Fifteen. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Now, what are the curses? Well, one of the curses was you'll be driven from your land. A foreign nation will come in and, and they'll overrun you. Um, we, we've seen Deuteronomy 28. Um, also this, and, and you shall be plucked off the land... That you are entering to take possession of it and the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. That's exactly what Jeremiah has been telling them. So Jeremiah is offering them no new insight. This is exactly what the word of God has been saying all along. Now Jeremiah from the age of 13 said it would be Babylon that would would do it. Of course at the time Babylon was a non-entity, Babylon was a nothing. Now they're the world empire. And so now Jeremiah's credibility, not just because of that, but because of everything else he has said, when he gave a time frame to it, has come to pass. So he's well established now as a prophet. No one's disputing the fact this guy's the real deal. It's one of the reasons why I would even today, you know, in the year two thousand thirteen, I would just I would make a lousy atheist. I'd be backsliding all the time because I'd remember Jeremiah be hopeless as an atheist because I I just remember th- this this guy claimed this there's no dispute that he claimed it it came to pass it, it couldn't have just been a wild guess this guy's amazing apart from the fact that we're about to read we're not going to look at it today but we're about to see Jeremiah talk about Jesus it's amazing anyway so he was he was well established but He was pleading with the people to come back to what the Bible described as how you worship God. And how do you worship God? I put it very simply, you surrender to him. That's it, just everything else is kind of detailed beyond that. You surrender to him. That's the essence of worship. So worship means to surrender to God. Now pagan worship does not seek to surrender to their gods. It seeks to get their gods to surrender to them by offering sacrifices and usually human sacrifices and usually child human sacrifices. They hoped to manipulate their gods. This this is called paganism. This is actually paganism. It's the idea that you can control the gods or whatever you call God. And Jeremiah's audience was, was largely pagan. They had this idea that they controlled the gods. And Jeremiah's coming at it for a completely different angle in fact he's reminding them that real spirituality being really spiritual is not a matter of us controlling God it's a matter of us surrendering to the one who is in control so Jeremiah has been reminding and this is chapter 33 so you know we've got 33 or 32 chapters or so where Jeremiah has been reminding the people God was the holy just lawgiver that's not all But let's just ponder those words for a moment. That he revealed that God was the holy. Holy means unique, totally special. Not like you, not like me. God is not common. He's not me, mate in heaven. He's not the old man upstairs. He's the Lord God Almighty. And when he speaks, the universe shakes. When he speaks, we bow. God the holy God the just God just means this he can do no wrong he is the only person in the universe who has never done wrong never and we might look at some of the things that he allows and even ordains and go well I know when he did wrong my auntie died of cancer and that was wrong not in God's eyes God's way of looking at the world is utterly just He only ever does what's right. And I've lived long enough on this planet now, and I'm sure there are others who could tell you the same thing. That those moments, those seasons when it looked wrong, it was just wrong and it seems unfair. As time goes on, you look back on it and you thank God for them. And you go, wow, you know, at the time I couldn't see any merit, any value, any benefit in that at all, but now I so do. Oh God, I'm so thankful. Many many young girls have prayed for a particular young man to become their husband and God hasn't answered the question. And as the years have gone by, they've dropped to their knees and thanked God. <laughs> I know right now there are teenage girls where that's like foreign language to you. It's like I've just spoken Martian or something. But trust me, it may well be your story as well. God is always just. He is the lawgiver. But that's not all. God is also And we've seen it even in this section, faithful, powerful, magnificent, glorious and all beautiful. Consider these words that Jeremiah has been describing God. He's the faithful God. God is a God of covenant, a God who says, you you give your life to me. I commit myself to look after you. He's faithful. Jeremiah is serving the faithful God. He's the powerful God. He's the God that can take a Nebuchadnezzar who was just a tribal, regional bloke out there and make him the emperor of the world and use him as a pawn on his chessboard to fulfill his purpose in Israel. God is the magnificent God. The magnificent God. The God who is phenomenally magnificent. God is also the glorious God. Glorious. Unlike any other. He is glorious. And God is all-beautiful. He is the all-beautiful God. Consider those words. This is the God Jeremiah is presenting to these people who are essentially pagan. Thus says the Lord of hosts in this place that is waste, without man or beast, and in all of its cities, there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. What's Jeremiah doing? You guys want me to declare that Babylon will leave and everything will just go back hunky-dory. I'll tell you how it's going to happen. You're going to surrender to God. There will come a generation that aren't going to play the games you guys are playing. There will come a generation of young people and they're alive right now. And they literally were. Daniel was a young kid. A young kid listening to this guy, Jeremiah. And Daniel was going, I believe. I believe. And when the Babylonians come in and they take Daniel off, To Babylon, Daniel's got the words of Jeremiah ringing in his head. There will come a generation that will come to the temple of the Lord and they will offer thanks offerings to him. They will declare the Lord of hosts is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Boys, I'm not playing your game, but there will be a day when this city will be everything you want it to be just not the way you want it it will be because people have repented and turned back to god in the cities of the hill country in the cities of shephala and in the cities of negev in the land of benjamin the places about jerusalem and in the cities of judah flocks again shall pass under the hands of the one who counts them remember that picture i gave you before of the shepherd counting the sheep says the Lord. So they shall once again pass under the rod of the shepherd. They shall once again pass under. Now it's a picture that that this time it's not it's not, you know, ten. 10. It's one, two, everyone will be dedicated to the Lord. Everyone will say, I'm worshiping God. Oh man, I long for that day. I long for that day. Can you imagine your next door neighbours surprising you next Sunday? They drive into the car park just after you. You didn't even know where they were going. Can you imagine people you work with turning up here and you didn't even know God was already doing something in their lives? Oh God, bring it on. Bring it on. Jesus gave this kind of language a whole new meaning when he declared... That he was every part of that process. He was every part of that process. He was the door. You pass between me. He was the shepherd. I am the shepherd. I am the, the one that counts the sheep. I'm the one who knows their voice. They know my voice. I'm the shepherd. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What a beautiful picture of the rest and the peace that's available for your soul. But you could take a pagan response to that and go, yeah, I'll have Jesus. I'll just have him on Sunday between 10.30 and 12. And I'll just slot him in there. That's a pagan approach. That's you wanting to control him. Don't be a pagan. Be a worshipper, not just a little bit of Jesus, all of Jesus. (laughs) Jesus said this because it's this picture of mine, mine, mine. What about those? They won't come between my feet. They won't let me run my hands through their wall. They're not mine. These are mine. My father gave me these. He actually said that. All that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Here's the question. Jeremiah said, boys, I'm not playing your game because I see a day when people will repent. They will return to the Lord and they will worship him, not for what they can get out of him, but because he is faithful. He is all perfectly glorious. He is magnificent. He is all beautiful. And that day is coming and Jeremiah says it's then that God, will restore peace then. And I think it's a spiritual metaphor for what Jesus has done because not only was Jesus the shepherd, Jesus was the sheep. He was the lamb of God. He was the one that paid the price for you. You owe a debt to God that you could never repay. But God has absorbed the debt. Not only that, absorb sounds too nice. He paid it. He paid it. He paid the price. Jesus came and died in your place. If you were the only person to have ever lived, he would have died for you. His love for you is overwhelming. Here's my question. Please let it linger. Please ponder this. Please do it justice. Have you come to know the faithful, powerful, magnificent, glorious and all beautiful God.
0: That Old Testament promise that shepherds shall rest their flocks is loaded with deeper meaning and significance, and it's affirmed in the New Testament by Jesus' words to us, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. A promise most beautiful and valid right here, right now. More in Jeremiah next week from Dr. Corbett, My Covenant with David. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, "Shepherds Shall Rest Their Flocks," are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com/findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.